It's almost New Year's. I figured I would do something along the lines of a New Year uh, theme uh, sermon here tonight. So we're going to be in Psalm 90. <clears throat> so if you take your Bible here this evening and go to uh, the book of Psalms and then find your place in Psalm 90, if you're able to stand, let's stand together uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter number 90. <clears throat> Psalm chapter number 90. We're going to read all 17 of these verses here tonight and uh, try to give good attention to them. And uh, excited about this sermon. I believe it will be a help and a blessing to you here tonight. Okay, Psalm 90 and verse number 1 says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hadst formed the earth and the world, <clears throat> even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, and here's the key verse of this chapter, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. May God bless the reading of His Word. I appreciate you standing. You can be seated. And here this evening we're going to talk about this. Apply your hearts to wisdom. Apply your hearts uh, to wisdom. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like a good story. Uh, if I have the opportunity to uh, uh, watch a, a good movie or a good show uh, or read a good story in a book, uh, I just enjoy a good story. My wife, for some reason, likes the Hallmark movies. Those are not good stories. The first three minutes, he likes her and this is what's going to happen. And she goes, who cares about the destination? You have to enjoy the journey, right? And I say, no, it's got to have twists and turns and, and who duns it and try to figure it all out. Uh, when I was uh, a kid, probably my favorite book series to read was Hank the Cowdog. 
Anybody ever read Hank the Cowdog before? If you've never read Hank the Cowdog, you're missing out on life and you need to go get a, a Hank the Cowdog book. John Eric, Erickson, the author of the series, uh, he gets into the mind of a couple mutt dogs on a dude ranch, cow ranch, uh, better than probably any author ever has of painting a picture. And words are just very uh, fun and colorful and how he paints this picture of this dog who thinks he's uh, the he-man of the ranch, but really he's just a, a dumb dog. And uh, it's a lot of fun and just a great book to uh, read. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But I'll tell you this, I just love stories. So regardless, maybe you think about uh, your favorite uh, a book or a favorite show or a favorite movie, and it's just got a wonderful plot, a wonderful story. And from beginning to end, it's just one that just grips your attention and maybe there was a big twist or a big whodunit that was revealed that just really got you. And it was one of those that you say, wow, this is just a great story. I could watch it or read it over and over and over and over again. It's just a wonderful, wonderful story. Now, this psalm was written by none other than Moses. Now, when we think of the book of Psalms, we usually don't think of Moses. But this is one of the few psalms that he himself wrote. And so in this psalm, Moses is thinking about the story of the life of the individuals who make up the children of Israel, their lives. And he's thinking about the story of their life, and unfortunately, there has been a major plot twist, and it's not a good one. Because of their sin and rebellion, what was supposed to be a prosperous, blessed nation of God now abides under the curse and wrath of God, and Moses sits back and he says, this tale that is being told has taken a major plot twist, and unfortunately the story of the life of Israel is not a pleasant one at this juncture. But here's the good news. Uh, Moses wants them to understand it can be. The story's taken a bad turn, but it can take a good turn. It can move in a good direction. Now, just to give some historical uh, background to where we're at here, okay? Uh, if you remember, they um, are there uh, in the wilderness of sin. They're about to enter into the promised land. They've just been exoduses. They've just left out of Egypt. And uh, God's already done some amazing and miraculous things with the children of Israel. And they're there just on the cusp of the promised land, and they choose out 12 men, one from each tribe. So 12 men, and they're going to go spy out Canaan. Now, there was nothing wrong with choosing 12 men. There was nothing wrong with spying out the land. There was nothing wrong about anything that they did. Actually, God even instructed them to do that. What was bad was their evil report. Unfortunately, there was 10 of them who came back with an evil report. Nothing they said was false. But what they said got embellished to the point where they said, there's no way God can do this. Now, that can be a dangerous conversation sometimes. When God lays before you what can seem impossible, but he says, go, move forward, do this. And by faith, it takes a step of saying, I don't see how God's going to do it, but he can do it. Now, were there grapes of clusters long inside the, the promised land? Yeah, they brought them back. They were huge. Were there giants in the land? Yeah, there were big, strong cities and big, strong people. 
But here's where they started exaggerating. We're but grasshoppers in their sight. Okay, they were some big people in the land of Canaan, but they weren't that big, right? They weren't like bugs compared to them. And what they started doing was they took the truth and they started embellishing on that truth to say this, there's no way God can do it. The problem is bigger than our God. In essence, that's what they were saying. Now, there were 10 of them that said that, and so oftentimes, unfortunately, the majority rules, right? And the problem was their unbelief dissuaded the people from following God by faith and doing what God had called them to do. Remember, there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, 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 our God is big enough. Amen. They said, who cares if there's giants? Who cares if there's big stuff over there? Who cares if there's walled cities? Our God can do this. Amen. And let's go do what God's called us to do. But unfortunately, they followed the majority. Now, another sermon for another time, but I'll say this, the majority's not always right. Let God be true and every man a liar. And, and if God is leading us by His Word and is directing us to do something, uh, then we need to move forward and do what God's called us to do, even if sometimes it feels like it's a bigger-than-us endeavor, right? We need to obey the Lord. And so, unfortunately, there are these ten. They follow them. And so God tells them, because of their unbelief, they were going to have a judgment or a curse placed on them. You remember what it was? That everyone who was 20 years of age and older was going to die in the wilderness. For 40 years, they're going to wander in a big circle in the wilderness till all of that generation from 20 years of age and up dies. Now, if it was my 20th birthday, I'd be pretty disappointed, right? Because everyone from 20 years old and up is God's going to kill them. Now, you can do the math. If there was a, a lot of people think that at this time, Israel ranged somewhere in the vicinity of two to three million people. So if there was a million people that were 20 years of age and older, that means you would have 70 funerals a day for 40 years. It's a lot of people that are going to die. It's a massive uh, undertaking that God's going to do to them. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but when God gives them that judgment, you know what Israel said? Oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go. And they tried to go into the promised land. And you remember what happened to them? God they saw utter defeat because of that. And God said, no, you're going to wander in the wilderness. Get just a side note here. Uh, oftentimes, isn't that what our children do sometimes? All right, you need to do this. No, not. all right, you're going to get a spanking then. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Right? It's too late now. It's, it's, there's a punishment, right? And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. They now are under the wrath of God and the punishment of God. And so Moses, in light of this judgment, in the understanding that there now has been this disobedience, and instead of receiving the promised blessing of the land, they're now going to wander out in the wilderness, still with the blessings and provisions of God, but they're going to wander in the wilderness. They're going to see 70 funerals a day. And everybody who is 20 years of age and older now abides under the judgment and wrath of God and will be put to death sometime in the next 40 years. Now, in light of that, Moses sits down after this judgment from God has been pronounced and he writes Psalm 90. Now, this psalm obviously carries a lot of emotion 
because this is a very serious judgment that has been passed on the children of Israel. So let's kind of take a look at this here. In the first 11 verses, a good chunk of the text here, it deals with the frailty of the life of Israel now because of their disobedience, which was this. They were going to be prosperous and their life was going to be this long, but now it's been cut short. What was is no longer. They're not going to have as full of a life. So in verses 1 through 6, he begins to contrast. So here we have Moses and he said, here's God and here's man. And he begins to compare them to show how short man's days are. So he says, God, before there ever was anything, you were. Now, if you understand the uh, topographic area there and the mountains and stuff, he mentions there in verse number two, before the mountains were brought forth. Now, just picture Moses, he's out there, and they're in the wilderness of sin. There's kind of these mountains and hills all around them. And he's looking at these mountainous hills and things, and he's saying, God, before you ever brought that mountain up, and you, before you ever said, let there be, and there was, you were there. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. You ever been to like some um, nature monument thing that's out there, just some beauty of nature, maybe like the Grand Canyon or seeing some massive uh, mountain or some awesome state park or national park. You see some amazing beauty, right? You say this, that has been here for a long time. And it's just an imposing thing of nature that has just been created by God. And you say this, that was here way before I got here, and it'll be here way after I'm gone. And so Moses is looking at these mountains, he's saying this, but before those mountains were here, as imposing and, and beautiful as they are, God, you were here. He then be able to compare with that, and he says, but man's taken out of the dirt, and as he's taken from the dirt to be made, one day he's going to return to the dirt, and he is just, boom, he has short length of days. So where he compares God, when he says, God, a day for you is like a thousand years. You're just so eternal, you last forever. He uses two illustrations to describe how short man's life is. One is a stream. Now, uh, we don't have a lot of streams around here in Texas, uh, but if you've ever been around like a mountain-fed stream and it's just kind of this beautiful flowing stream, uh, one thing you'll notice about it is the water's always moving, right? That, that's what makes it a stream. And so if you were to isolate one drop of water, I don't know how you would do that, but if you could isolate one drop of water in that and follow it as it goes down that creek, you would see this. It's just kind of slowly meandering and flowing down the stream. That's how human life is. Human life is constantly, you're getting older and older and older until one day you reach the destination of death and that's the end of it, right? It's kind of a sad way of viewing life, but that's how Moses views it here. It's kind of like the headwaters of the Mississippi and then being deposited into the Gulf, right? There's a beginning point and an ending point and it's a stream. But Moses actually describes it a little bit more vividly. He says, our days have become like a flood, well, what happens during a flood? Instead of like a stream, a flood is like whoosh. So here's what Moses says. Our life was supposed to be like this, and now it's like this. It's been sped up. He then talks about the grass. Okay, uh, in Texas, we understand this concept really well. Uh, if it's August 
and we haven't had a ton, a ton of rain, but we've had enough that the grass is still growing, and it's green still. <laughs> Rare thing in Texas to have green grass in August, right? But go out there, and you cut that grass in the morning time, and then by the evening, what does that grass start to look like in the August heat? If not by that evening, by the next day, it's pretty crispy and brown. Now, here's what he's saying. Listen, that grass, if it had been left attached, eventually the, the heat and, and drought or, or winter eventually would kill that off, right? It would brown out and it would die. But what he said is, our life now has been cut. And it's like that blade of grass is laying there and it's going to dry a lot quicker. So he, he is illustrating this by saying, God, you are so eternal. God, you last so long. God, you have no beginning. You have no end. You're the eternal God. And our life was already short. We're, we're, we're man. We're made from the dust. We're going to return to the dust like a stream, like a plant. One day we're going to come to our ending destination. But now the grass has been cut. The floodgates have been opened. And our life that was supposed to be like this has been reduced. It's been cut short. And so Solomon is drawing this very strong contrast to how short man's life uh, is becoming. So in verses 7 through 11, he talks about God's anger and his wrath and how this is making their life a short tail that is just going to fly by that will be over uh, before you know it. So the iniquities of the nation of Israel are set before the Lord. Moses is acknowledging that their sins are a constant reproach to them, and their disobedience is going into the, not going into the promised land uh, is now in the forefront of God's mind, and His wrath is now upon them. So in verse number 9, he describes it this way. He says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. So in verse 7, verse 8, he talks about his wrath, the iniquity, their sin, how it's on the forefront of God's mind. So he says, now, the remainder of our days, they're going to be like a tale that's told. Now, I've heard some pretty cool messages on that verse. But unfortunately, a lot of people take it and they just kind of run with it because it's a cool word, a tale that's told. What that means is it's a byword. So that's what it's become today. So much so that we can say this wilderness wandering, and what do you think about? I know, I know we're already talking about it, but if somebody, if you've grown up in church and you've been around Bible reading and, and know the scriptures to any degree, and someone comes up and they say, wilderness wandering, just those two simple words, you know what they're talking about, and that ultimately describes this generation. It's become a byword. It's become just a catchphrase. Uh, kind of like, uh, say something like this, uh, Cowboys won the Super Bowl in 79. Now, during that year, when they won the Super Bowl, you know, you have to go back to the 90s and the 70s and stuff to remember the good old days, right? But I'll say this, you can look back at those times, and now that's basically the statement. But the year of, there was a lot more to be said about it, wasn't there? I'm telling you, there, there's news reports, and there's headlines, and there's stats, and it's a big deal, and people are talking about it. But now... When you start to get to the, even the next year's Super Bowl, the last year's Super Bowl is old hat. The only thing people say about it is, this team won. That's it. It's become a byword. So what he's saying is, is basically this. The byword or this passing is simply this. Our life is going to be summed up that quick. He's talking about how brief their life is and how quickly it can be summed up. 
that we could basically just use the phrase wilderness wandering. And he says that's how brief and how short our life has become because God's wrath is sitting upon us. They were going to spend their days as a tale that was told, a muttered, simple byword. Their lives were going to be cut short also. Uh, he says this, they were three score and ten years. You do uh, quick math in your head, that's 70 years, right? You got to do uh, King James math there, okay? Uh, 70 years. Three score, that's three twenties, and then ten, so you got 70 years. He said, or by reason of strength, they be fourscore, which is 80 years, right? Now, a lot of people say, this couldn't have been written by Moses because people were living a lot longer at this time. Moses lived to be 120 years old. Uh, you read about people in the Bible around Moses' time period. They were most of them living longer lives than 70 to 80 years. And I say this, you're exactly right. Because him pointing out that they're only living 70 to 80 years is pointing out the reality that their life has been cut short. Is he saying, now you're only going to live this long, whereas before you were going to live this long. Now, listen, there were going to be some individuals who are a part of that generation who at max were going to live maybe 60 years. So there's like some people that are 20 years old, 21, 22, 23 years old, and they're coming to this realization, my life, which would have been 90 or 100 years, is now max going to be 60 that's kind of a mind-boggling thing for them to be able to comprehend. And Moses is looking at these young faces, and he's looking at this young nation, and he's saying this, God's wrath is upon us. God's judgment is upon us, and life has been cut short. So there's an interesting thing that now happens. Moses, recognizing that life has been cut short, there's not as much of it. They, they're going to spend the rest of their days under the wrath of God, he then comes up with this thought. In verse number 12, he says this, So teach us to number our days. Here's what Moses is saying. God, help us to use the time that we have wisely. Help us to take the amount of time that we have, whether that's uh, for some a year, whether some live the full 40 years, whatever that case might be, help us to use whatever time we have remaining Help us to use it in a right way. So teach us to number our days that. So now he's going to mention a few things that he hopes will happen as they take account. Hey, we're not going to live forever. We're not even going to live as long as we thought we were going to. Our life is short. It's just a little bit of time. So he then says, help us first to apply our hearts to wisdom. Well, what is that? Wisdom is the application of biblical knowledge. So what he's asking God to do is simply say this. God, we don't want to just know what's right to do. We want to also do what's right. Help us to apply our heart, not just our actions, but our very being, who we are on the inside. Help us to apply that, to uh, put ourselves toward doing what you've called us to do. Now, that's a good prayer request from Moses. I've only got this much time. God, help me to spend what time I've got doing exactly what you would do. Amen. Help me to apply my heart to wisdom. He then goes on in verse number 13 and gives him an, another thing here that he wants him to do. He says this, Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. 
he asks us this. He says, God, if it's possible, just asking, could you change your mind about this judgment that you've passed on us? We recognize we've made a terrible mistake. God, if it's possible, would you repent? Would you change your judgment so that we can do right? We want to do right now. We change. And we know the answer to that. Was it wrong that Moses asked it? No. But obviously there was an answer that was given, which was no. The judgment was still there. He then mentions in verse number 14, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So the follow-up to that is, God, if you're not going to repent, will you help us to be satisfied with what mercy you do give us? Now, answer me this. Did God give mercy during the 40 years of wilderness wandering? Oh, absolutely he did. Way more than they deserved. He fed them. He didn't allow their shoes to wear out. He protected them from uh, outside influences and, and people trying to make war with them. God did some awesome things during those 40 years. He protected and provided for them, even when they were ungrateful. They disobeyed, and God was judging them, and they were mad at him for doing it. And he still blessed them. And, and so Moses was saying this, help us to be satisfied with what mercies you give us. And that's a good prayer request as well to be praying. Okay, Verse number 15, he says, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Another prayer request was this, God, I don't know how many years I got, but help me to rejoice in the years that I do have. Not be mad about the ones that I lost, but to be thankful for the ones that I have. Now, that's a different mindset of thinking, isn't it? That there were those who were young in their 20s and 30s who were saying this, look at all the years I've lost. And Moses saying, God, will you help them, help us as a nation, see the years we have, not the ones, the ones that we don't have? That's a good prayer request for him to pray as well. And of course, over verse number 16, he says, Let thy work appear unto thy servant and thy glory unto their children. Again, God, will you still work through us? God, will you help us to see you working in this? And then verse number 17, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Which is this, God, don't cast us aside forever. You still have a plan for the nation of Israel. Help us fulfill it. No, no, no. Don't, don't lose this because we're going to make some application for us. Okay, We've been talking about Israel, but here's where we start to rub and meet the road for us today. Take it home with you, right? Okay, so here's ultimately what we can say. We did not disobey God by not going into the promised land because we're not Israel and Moses is not our leader. So what in the world does Psalm 90 have to do for me? Because as far as I'm concerned, as far as you're concerned, God's judgment isn't upon us. That would be kind of a scary message to receive from God. All right, you have a max of 40 years, right? That's it. Can you imagine if you would gotten that message when you were in your 20s? And you're like, so is it five years or is it 40? I don't know, somewhere in there. Oh, now, we, we have, listen, we have not received that estimation of our time that we have here on this earth. But I will say this, James 4.4 4 says this, that our life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little while, and then what? It vanisheth away. My son loves mac and cheese, Andrew. He's a mac and cheese connoisseur. <clears throat> Boil in the water, right? You see that water go up, that steam, and it's there right above the pot, and then where does it go? It's 
just disappears. You take a mist bottle, you know, a little spray bottle, you spray it, you see that mist, and then what happens? It's gone. You know what the Bible says? That's your life. Now, it, sometimes in, in the main focus of our day-to-day -day grind of life, we feel like, man, we've got a lot of time. But as I get older, and I'm not old yet, my children call me old, but some of you all know better. But as I get older, I look back at the time that's already passed and I start to say this, where did it go? And the older I get, the more it feels like it goes faster. And it's just like, like, whoa, it's Christmas time. We just did that. You know, it's like, wow, 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 wow. The years just start flying by. And the older I get, the more I start to realize this. My life is really not as long as I thought it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid and I was a teenager and I looked forward to life, I had all these aspirations of saying, man, life is going to be and life is, is uh, and you have all. And then before you know it, you blink and you wake up one day and you go, I've lived my life. Mm -hmm. and, and you go, where did the years go? Where did the days go? And it's, it's, sometimes we don't even realize it, but we're just that stream of life. And every day it's just ticking away. Now again, this isn't meant to be a discouraging message, but we understand the end of all of us is what? Is, is death, right? Where we're all one day going to die or Christ is going to return. We're going to be raptured out of here. Do I know how long you're going to live? Not a clue. You don't know how long you're going to live. For some, it's very short. I've been at funerals for babies and little kids. For others... They live a long, long time. They live well over 100 years and have long, prosperous lives as far as years are concerned. I'll say this, you don't know. We, we don't know how much time we have. From this point to when you pass away and when your time on this earth is over, you don't have a clue how much time you have. But you do know this, it's short. According to the scriptures, we know this. Compared to the grand scheme of eternity, compared to looking at mountains and the beauty of God's creation, we can say this, God, you are eternal, and yesterday was like a thousand years for you. Which is this, it's not that God, not every day is a thousand years for God. It's this, God's not bound by time. We are. He, he is timeless. He is eternal. Time means nothing to Him. It's a construct that He created. One day there will be no time. But for us right now, we abide in this thing called time and really, the amount of time that we live here on this earth compared to the grand scope of all of eternity is a blip on the map. And so here's what Moses' prayer is. Because we've been made aware of the brevity of life, the shortness of life feels more real right now than it ever has in all of the history of Israel. He's saying this, help us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Help us number our days and understand this. We don't have an unlimited number of them. Every day is a gift from God. Every day is the present. It is a gift from God that you ought to use for His glory. Apply your heart to wisdom. Don't dread what is to come. Instead, be focused on what's right in front of you in the day that's in front of you there. Now listen, coming into 2024, I can say this. I don't know how much of 2024 you're going to get to live or how much beyond 2024 you're going to get to live. That sounded really morbid, sorry. I don't know how much of that's going to be there, but I do know this. Whatever it is, use it for the glory of God. Amen. You might not be a big New Year resolution person. The older I get, the less I, I'm that way. But there's something really unique and special about having a new year, isn't there? It feels like a, a starting over, a blank slate, a new chapter with clean pages. 
Can I encourage you? Use this year. Use tomorrow. Use next week for the glory of God. Who cares what's been in the past? Use the days that God's given you now for His glory and His majesty. Because here's the reality. Here's what he says. We spend our days as a tale that's told. And one day will be placed in the ground and there'll be a birth date and there'll be a death date. And in between that, there'll be the dash. And it's a byword. So much so that we could sum up the children of Israel's whole existence this way. Wilderness wandering. Here's the question. What phrase will be used to describe your life? What tale will be told about you? Loving Father, passionate about the Lord, deadbeat. What will it be that people will say as a byword about your life? Well, if you want somebody to say something positive and Christ-honoring at your death about the dash that you lived, then you need to apply every day for the glory of God. Oftentimes we view life as this grand spectrum of the whole thing, but God views it day by day and with each passing moment. So tomorrow, live for God. The day after, live for God. The day after, live for God. Just every day, have a renewed mind and a renewed spirit that says this, I'm going to apply my heart to wisdom and live for God today. Choose 2024 to be a life, a year, live for the Lord. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.